Welcome to the Six Ways to Sunday podcast, hosted by award-winning television director, documentary filmmaker, author, and speaker, Craig D. Forrest. Join Craig for the next few minutes as he interviews leaders, artists, and creatives about trends and insights shaping our digital world and faith-based media. This podcast is produced and brought to you by Matchstick Media International. Now, here's Craig. Welcome to the podcast, talking to Carl Vaders, a pastor for, oh my goodness, forever, for decades, and uh, has, uh, Carl has a lot of things to say about small churches and uh, culture today, media as well. Welcome to the podcast, Carl. Good to be with you, Craig. Yeah. Uh, Carl and I went to the same uh, Bible college back in the day. I was just a little bit before him, Bethany University. Back in the day when Carl and I went, it was Bethany Bible College, and it went through a It sort of morphed into a couple of names. Uh, it was only 400, 500 students, and it became a university. I don't know how you do that, but they, did. <laughs> yeah, they, they decided did. to do it uh, up in the uh, Santa Cruz Mountains outside of Santa Cruz, California, a beautiful, beautiful place to go to school and to live as well. Carl, you, uh, for those of you that don't know, Carl Vaders, V-A-T-E-R-S, V-A-T-E-R-S, Carl with a K, K-A-R-L. You can find him at carlvaders.com. He's done blogging. He's written books. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, he has been a pastor for more than 20 years of a church that uh, has been in and around 200 uh, congregants in any one year. And uh, he has a lot to say about small churches. And you hit on something a while back, Carl. You wrote a book called The Grasshopper Myth, and it to the surprise and the blessing of you, your wife, Shelly, and, uh, and everyone, it took off, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It's been, well, it's been, it's been almost nine years. It's been about nine years now since it came out. I'm coming up on the 10th anniversary. It's been that long and it's still self-published and it still continues to sell. Yeah. It's a, it's quite a shocker for everybody. Why do you think that is? Well, um, it's it's one of those things where you have to reverse engineer it, right? Because if you were looking ahead and trying to do what has happened, people would say you're crazy. Uh, but what happened was um, I, I started writing out of my, quite frankly, frustrations and then the lessons that I was learning about being a small church pastor in a healthy and dynamic and missional church that simply didn't have the numerical growth that I'd been told for years is inevitable if your church is healthy and outward reaching and missional. Uh, but the numbers never materialized past a certain point. So I, I started, I went through a season of great frustration over that and almost quit ministry for no reason other than the numbers weren't materializing. And I thought I must be messing up somewhere. Uh, and then I looked around and realized, but I'm not, because this is a really great church doing really good stuff. Um, and so I'm not, I, I'm not messing anything up. So maybe there's another way of looking at it. So I started writing out of the frust those frustrations. I started doing research and I, I started looking around and asking myself, what is going on with small churches? And is there a value to small churches that maybe we haven't recognized? And then I wrote about my experience and it turns out that my experience in a small church and with the frustrations of not having the numbers 
it turns out that my experience is the experience of maybe 90% of my peers in pastoral ministry. Mm -hmm. And so my friends in pastoral ministry started resonating and going, Oh, you wrote the book I wish I had written. You know, uh, every pastor's got this boy, I could write a book. (laughs) I just, I happen to actually write it. And so my average story of an average pastor in an average but healthy church turns out to really hit the hearts of an awful lot of other uh, of my peers in ministry. You found out something, because we know each other from uh, about 10 years back or maybe a little bit longer than that. You found out something that uh, not only hit, uh, you, you put your thumb on the pulse of something, you come from a Pentecostal background, as do I, and uh, working in the same denomination as our fathers did. But all of a sudden, you found yourself being uh, asked to speak in other denominations across America and eventually across the world. That must have been a surprise, yes? Yeah, it was very much a surprise. I mean, first of all, that people wanted to buy the book. You know, I mean, <laughs> how many, how many, how many grasshopper myth books do you think you've sold? It's uh, closing in on eighteen thousand now. Oh, that's really good for a self-published book. Oh, about small churches. I mean, you 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 want to you want to you know you want to sell something, put you know some, something sexy or something new on the cover. If you don't want to sell a book. You know, the, the lowest selling topic maybe is churches and right below that is small churches. You know, they, they just don't smell and, and a self-published book it doesn't make any sense that this is selling. So, um, yeah. So, so what was the question? <laughs> well, the question is you found it a surprise that you were yes. being asked to speak outside of your comfort zone in denominations that wanted to hear your yeah. insights about small churches. Yeah, like I say, this, the book selling at first was a real shocker. And then almost immediately, I started getting calls from uh, pastoral groups, uh, both large and small. Uh, and I don't mean from large and small churches. I mean, you know, uh, a group that oversees a thousand churches and a group that oversees 10 churches uh, saying, could you come and speak to our churches? Because, um, you know, we keep bringing in big church pastors and they're speaking and they're inspirational and we love them. But they're speaking at a level of, of numerical attendance that 90% of our churches who are listening to them can't relate to. And you're talking to 90% of our pastors about a size of church that 90% of them are currently active in and are trying to figure out. So immediately the call started coming in and I was overwhelmed with it. And so here I am. I've, I've been a small church pastor in the 30 years that I've been pastoring small churches. I've literally never once been asked to speak at a conference or a campground or even at a friend's church. It's just, I'm here at my church and I'm pastoring away. And then all of a sudden was overwhelmed with the demand to come and speak into the lives of the average pastor. What was the thread or the threads that led you? I know you said these are uh, for the grasshopper myth and you've written four or five books. Uh, as well. And we'll talk about that in a minute. What was the thread that made you finally go, you know what, I'm going to put this all together and I'm actually going to self-publish it. There must have been a, uh, a jump across the stream that made you do it. There was. I have to give my wife Shelly credit for that. Um, oh, I, go, I go, had... Shel- go, go, Shelly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, so I was, you know, I was I was on this research of trying to figure out the value of small churches. And I, what, when I'm a reader, so the first thing I do when I want to figure something out is I, I look for a book. I, I read a book and I couldn't find a book about small churches. There were a handful that would talk about little small church stories or whatever, but I couldn't find a book that out 
outlined what I was looking for. Here's the value of small church, here's where it goes. But I found little bits and pieces and corners here and there and started putting it together and started teaching it to our church leadership. And at one point, Shelly just looked at me and said, you know, quick complaint. And in that, I would always complain, you know, why hasn't anybody written a book on this? And after hearing that a dozen times, Shelly looked at me and said, quit complaining that nobody's written a book and write a book. Yeah. And yeah. I said, well, nobody knows who I am. I have no social media presence. I'm a, I'm a pastor in a small church that nobody's ever heard of. Who's going to read a book that I write? And she said, well, who else is going to write a book about small church pastoring other than a small church pastor? And how many famous ones do you know? <laughs> oh, zero. Oh, yeah, zero, of course. So I'm, if it's not me, then I, you know, I'm the one with the heart for it. I'm the one who's complaining about it. I'm the one who's finding all this information about it. Write the book. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But at least then you can't say there's no books out there about it. You so have? that's what happened. It was her. Yeah, she was the, she was the jump across the stream. All right. God bless Shelly. Um, yeah. You have on one of your uh, blog items is that you love mega churches. There need to be more of those. And it's the mega churches that sort of suck up all the oxygen when it comes to exposure on social media, etc. And then also house churches, which you love as well. But I think you made a good point, Carl, a few minutes back that 90% of the churches across this world, at least in America, probably the world as well, 90% uh, of them are small churches. And, and, and yet, you know, I will tell you something about my dad, who was a good pastor, really good, great pastor. My mom, uh, who was always wanted to, you know, promote and get, get things out there, said to me once, well, you know, your dad never had a big church. He never had, my dad never had a big church. I never forgot that because here I am talking about it. It's like in some denominations, you're not a success unless you have a big church. Talk about that for a minute, yeah? Yeah, that's the truth in most places. Um, the, the church growth movement started, I mean, sh sh very shortly after you and I graduated from Bethany was when the church growth movement came out of Fuller Institute mostly and C. Peter Wagner and a handful of folks like that wrote some really good stuff and did a lot of research. And I was barely five years out of Bible college and all of a sudden the ground beneath me shifted and the way um, Bible college students were being taught about church changed. Uh, when you and I were at Bethany, the way they taught us was pretty much the way our parents had been taught. In fact, about half the textbooks I used at Bethany, I borrowed from my dad because he had used them at his Bible college. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then about five years later, everything shifted and it, all, it was all the church growth books that started coming out. And I looked at it and I saw the value of it. So I, I realized I'm going to have to give myself a second college education here because I have to learn this new way of doing things. I did so willingly, I did so joyfully, and I'm grateful for what I learned. Um, but then when I started to apply the church growth principles, I started to get frustrated that the principles that, that seemed to say, if you do this, the numerical growth is inevitable. I, I now call it the myth of inevitability. Oh. It's not that the principle is wrong, it's that the idea that if you do these principles, numerical growth is inevitable, that's where the problem comes in. Mm. But there is this myth of inevitability out there. And that was the part that got me uh, frustrated. So these new books started coming in, church growth started coming in. And, and, but that's been 40 years ago now. 
So the church growth movement has been in use in practical ways in hundreds of thousands of churches for long enough now for us to assess it more accurately. When it's brand new, you just try the stuff and, the, and you pay attention to what works. But when it's been around for 40 years, you can now look around and go, okay, these things work. The idea of, uh, of actually taking real numbers to assess things rather than just simply guessing. The idea of being more missional and making sure that we're speaking in a language that unchurched people can hear. All of these wonderful things came out of the church growth movement. But now we've been around, it's been around long enough that we get to assess some of the unintended consequences of it. And every good thing has unintended negative consequences. And one of the big unintended negative consequences of the church growth movement is that we've left tens of thousands of pastors feeling like failures because the inevitable, inevitable numbers did not materialize in their congregation. And those wounded warriors are the people that lay on my heart every single day because I was one of them. And they're the ones that I'm trying to reach out to, to let them know they are not failures if they are faithful in ministry, even if the seemingly inevitable numbers don't materialize. Imagine if you were to go back, uh, and I have a, a mistake in my life was getting a degree in ministry. When I, should have, <laughs> I should have gotten a degree in history because there was no film back then. I'm a, I'm a TV guy, a filmmaker. But imagine going back if there would have been a course in, in your or my, but especially your uh, time at Bethany on pastoring the small church. Uh, that was 14, 15 week course in a semester of this is, these are the uh, obstacles. These are the challenges. These, you know, you're going to, all the different uh, aspects. Does that make sense to you? It does. I've thought about it a lot. And, and the conclusion I've come to is, one, I agree with you. I wish that had been there. And I wish they were there today. There still isn't one. Oh, then you know what? Probably, you're right. Probably nobody, it's not sexy to have a course on pastoring the small church. No, no, there isn't. And, and so that's the first thought. Second thought is it would have to be, if you're going to do it, it can't be a, an elective because nobody's going to pick that as an elective. I would not have. Because <laughs> right. I, I, even if you'd given me the statistics that 90% of us will pastor a small church for almost all of our ministry, I'd have still thought, well, I'll be in the 10%, right? I, that's, and, and there's a certain amount of that kind of um, drive and passion that you kind of want to see in young, young Bible college students. They, you know, they're going to, you know, if, if they're going to walk in and, and just say, well, I just want a small church, I, I almost worry about the lack of passion there. But all of that to say, I, 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 do, I do wish there was at least a course that included that. And I've taught that. I've, I've actually been brought in as guest speaker to some Bible colleges to teach some of that. And I know that when I'm there and I'm speaking, especially to young seminary and Bible college students, and I'm talking about the, the likelihood that you're going to spend a lot and maybe even, uh, maybe even all of your ministry in small churches, I know that for most of the students listening to me, they're internally, if not externally, invisibly rolling their eyes at me. I know that because they're all convinced they would be the exception to the rule, just like I would have been convinced of that. Mm -hmm. But I still wish somebody had said that to me because for virtually every one of them, at some point in five years or 10 years or 20 years, they are going to find themselves in the position I found myself in, which is, hey, the numbers are not materializing like I was told would. 
And then at that point, I want them to be able to dig back into the recesses of their brain and go, wait a minute, wasn't there that one class with that one guy that I just didn't give much credit to, but at least they'd know a place to go and look. But right now, most of them, like me, didn't even know the place to go and look. So we need to give them at least the, uh, even if they're not ready to hear it yet, we need to give them the alternative so that when they're ready to hear it, they'll know where to find it. What a good episode. Learning a lot from Carl Vaders. I hope you join us for the next episode and we'll pick up where we left off. This podcast features engaging conversations with leaders, artists, and creatives sharing about current trends and insights shaping our digital world and faith-based media. Today's episode is produced by Matchstick Media International, a nonprofit that's passionate about inspiring both visionary leaders and young creatives to harness the power of media to further the gospel. To learn more, visit us at matchstickmedia.org. Now, back to Craig.